Welcome to Eat, Drink, and Do Good, a newsletter and now podcast from Studio Atau. I'm Jenny Dorsey, the studio's executive director. Every month, we feature a new op-ed at the intersection of food, beverage, and social justice from new and emerging writers. I hope you enjoy the podcast today, and if you're learning something from these pieces, please consider supporting our work at www.studiotau.org slash donate. How Chernobyl Taught Me My Duties as an Organizer by Emma Buckman Trigger Warning Brief Mention of Suicide On April 26, 1986, at 1.23.45 a.m. EEST, the world's worst nuclear accident occurred at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant in Ukraine. The core of reactor number four exploded, and radiation began spewing into the atmosphere at a rate of about two atomic bombs per hour through the blown open roof. When I look at photos of the building immediately after the accident, I'm reminded of a chest cracked open to reveal a dying heart, beating frantically as it pumps radiation across Europe. Approximately 300,000 people were permanently evacuated from their homes. 31 people died as a direct result of the accident. The number of subsequent deaths and illnesses can never be fully calculated, but its upward estimates climb to the tens of thousands and continue to grow. I began to study Chernobyl and its liquidators in 2019 with the release of the HBO series Chernobyl. I felt a deep connection to the event and those involved with it that I had never felt before, an almost innate feeling of not only wanting to learn more, but to take action based on what I learned. Perhaps not so coincidentally, my journey as an activist began only six months prior. To me, Chernobyl and the centuries-long fight against systemic racism and colonialism in the United States were all a part of the same global story, and my duties to one became my duties to the other. The importance of speaking truth to power was perhaps the earliest of these duties. While many factors contributed to the Chernobyl explosion, the principal cause was a systemic lack of transparency and accountability. Although some blame can be attributed to the nuclear power plant's leadership, the disaster could not have happened without the infinite opportunities for prevention that Soviet leadership repeatedly ignored. The Soviet government then did its best to hide the accident, even from their own people. Many whistleblowers gave up their careers, reputations, and safety to tell the truth. One of them was academician Valery Legasov, chief scientific advisor of the Chernobyl Commission. Before the accident, Legasov was one of the most well-respected scientists in the Soviet Union. But after Chernobyl, he became an outspoken activist fighting for other reactors to be updated for safety. He was humiliated, ostracized, and rumors were even circulated that he himself caused the accident. It would not be until Legasov's memoir, It Is My Duty to Tell About It, was published in the Soviet newspaper Pravda, or Truth, that the true cause of the accident was more widely circulated in the Soviet Union, and when certain Soviet nuclear power plants were shut down, according to Legasov's recommendations. This came too late for Legasov, however, 
who died by suicide the month before his memoir was published. Inspired by Legasov and his comrades, I suggested that speaking truth to power be the theme for the fourth annual Women's Unity March in Annapolis in 2020, which March on Maryland organized between 2017 to 2021. From there, we signed up BIPOC speakers who had a history of standing up to those in power, from a Black mother impacted by police misconduct in the death of her young son, to a representative from the Youth and College Division of our local NAACP branch. Chernobyl also taught me the importance of context in my organizing work. In its immediate aftermath, the blame for the accident was put upon plant staff and leadership. They were the ones who performed the safety test, after all. But you cannot look at Chernobyl on its face, masked as it is by those desperate to cling to power. Plant workers like Alexander Akimov and Leonid Toptonov, both partially blamed for the accident, were not given all the information necessary to operate the reactor safely and forced to work while facing threats of termination. This narrative also took the focus away from the true problem, a government that prioritized the reputation afforded to them by a powerful nuclear reactor over civilian safety. Many of my Chernobyl learnings came to a head when recently, my local community lost a very hard-fought battle for police accountability. Our county executive wrote a bill that established a new Police Accountability Board, or PAB, that had no true civilian oversight. At least 19 community organizations came together to formulate recommendations to the county council before it was voted on. Most of these organizations were BIPOC-led and have deep connections to the area. Folks who had been directly impacted by police violence bravely came forward to testify for four hearings straight, sometimes staying past midnight. And yet, the council was almost completely unmoved. The bill passed six to one in favor, with only one of the coalition's many recommendations included. We knew that once this bill passed, it would be nearly impossible for us to correct it without statewide legislation. Many of us were livid, and I was fearful that the coalition would disband after this loss. As many organizers and activists know, this job comes with more problems than solutions. It can feel toxic, poisonous, and like there's no point in pushing forward. But as usual, Chernobyl would not let me give in. I poured over the stories of the unsung heroes, the liquidators who contained and decontaminated the area, thousands of scientists, engineers, government officials, and Soviet citizens. These individuals literally walked across poisoned earth every day to save lives, douse the radioactive fire, contain the radiation released by the open core, decontaminate the area around the plant and throughout the region, and relocate citizens evacuated from what would become the Chernobyl exclusion zone. All of this came at extreme personal cost for every liquidator. Many would die prematurely of radiation-related illness. But without their sacrifice, the accident would have taken many more lives and made more areas of Ukraine and Europe uninhabitable. The coalition I was a part of also remained strong. We didn't disband, but processed the new reality and changed our purpose and actions to hold this new abomination of a PAB accountable. We continue to meet regularly, gather community input, and use our collective voice to bring more civilian oversight into our local justice system. To me, history is one tapestry of the human experience. 
Every story is connected, both through their similarities and their differences. I believe that's why I was able to build so many essential duties in organizing against white supremacy through the story of the war against Chernobyl. And it's how I know that there's only more to learn. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find all prior issues of Eat, Drink, and Do Good on Studio Tao's website at studiotao.org newsletter. I'm Emily Chen, the head of content at the studio. Every month, we'll be releasing a new newsletter and podcast with social justice analyses from new and emerging writers. Make sure to sign up for our mailing list and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to be the first to know on all new episodes. All of our contributors are paid for their time and work, so if you're able, please consider supporting us as a monthly donor via Patreon or via a one-time gift at studiotao.org donate. Thank you for listening.